Welcome back, everybody, to the Brubble Podcast, a, a podcast examining young voices and perspectives from in and around the Brussels bubble. And I'm your host, Simon. So, here in Brussels, most of us spend our days looking at governance, regulation, and policy in some form or another. And most of what we look for is at the national or international level. However, as my first-year political science courses taught me, there are more levels to governance than just that. And today, we're going to be looking at one of those different levels of governments, or the role that different actors can play in these levels of governance, particularly focused on cities. So how are cities evolving their role in today's changing world? How are they approaching the big issues of this year? And what lessons can we, in Brussels, learn from the city we're living in and the cities we're surrounded by? So joining me today to take a tour of this topic is Pietro. How are you doing, Pietro? How are you doing? Good to see you. I'm going to start in a bit of a little personal question right away. What's your favorite city? Well, my favorite city, of course, I'm going to sound uh, obvious. I come from Rome. So uh-huh. I grew up in Rome. That's, uh, that's, of course, maybe it's not necessarily the most innovative city. Maybe it's ne- necessarily not the city where you have the highest quality yeah. of life. But you're living in a museum. You're waking up every day. And, of course, the city is very big. And not everyone gets to experience the best of the city, the nice uh, uh, historical uh, neighborhoods. But uh, I was lucky enough to grow up there. And uh, I have to say that... Uh, I still think about Rome all the time, I have to say, about the beauty, about the layers of architectures that uh, you can see and uh, the layers of history. So mm-hmm. Rome, uh, it might sound uh, <laughs> a, bit, uh, a bit too simple because it's a city I grew up in, but Rome, it's certainly the most beautiful city. But there is something that relates back to what we're going to talk today about, too. It, it, has, some, it has a really you know, good look at ancient Rome, Italy, and all their cultures and stuff going on there, and all the governance structures they had there were quite interesting back then there as well, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a very good point. I mean, Rome, it's, it's so rich in history and culture and, and beauty because mm-hmm. of its central role uh, as uh, the capital of an empire. And of course, without uh, being an empire, you would have, wouldn't have managed to build all that beauty. And of course, very often what is interesting is that uh, uh, beauty is based also on inequalities, I have to say. Mm-hmm. You're able to build all that beauty because there is <laughs> wealth. <laughs> and uh, the Roman Empire was, of course, uh, enjoying enjoying a lot of wealth thanks to, of course, also the exploitation of of other civilizations. And uh, Rome is a very interesting example of a city that uh, has relied, uh, its wealth has been based on uh, (laughs) the the hard work also happening in other uh, continents and in other parts of the world, uh, not just with the Roman Empire, but also with the church. Uh, Of course, uh, Rome is the capital of the church, and a lot of wealth has been distributed to the cities thanks to that. And, uh, of course, that doesn't end uh, now because the Rome is the capital of Italy and since it's the capital uh, a lot of resources are getting in in Rome and a lot of uh, innovation can also happen because of that so it's a very interesting example uh, of a city that uh, really uh, relies on uh, its history for for these innovations yeah Yeah, and uh, I'm sure that we're going to be exploring a bit more of that as we go into the topics today and and just for the people because we started quite you know energetically here but but Pietro, let, let, let's tell them a bit. Who are you? What do you do in life? What finds you in this chair in front of me today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Th- thank you again uh, for having me. I think it's a, it's a great uh, opportunity to, to come here and tell a bit about myself. Well, uh, I'm Pietro. I'm uh, I- Italian. I'm from Rome. Uh, 
Uh, I'm a, a policy advisor in my <laughs> in my professional life. I'm a policy advisor on governance at Eurocities. Uh, Eurocities, for those who don't know, is the major network of uh, European cities. So we're basically the voice of cities in Brussels. We represent more than 200 cities from all over Europe, not just from the European Union, but even beyond that. We have Turkish cities, we have Ukrainian cities. Mm. And uh, on top of being the voice uh, of cities in Brussels, and of course, that involves a lot of advocacy, uh, lobbying, and these kind of things. We are also an important network that brings together different uh, cities and city officials. We have more than 6,000 city officials that engage in our network, and they engage to learn from each other, to exchange in this European setting about the great things that uh, different cities are doing and how they can learn and they can bring the, 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 their innovations forward. So... In this, uh, let's say, broader picture, my role is just trying to uh, make sure that the, the voice of cities is well represented and it's a lot about uh, learning, understanding cities uh, and, and try to, to, to bring their voice in all these uh, European discussions. To that, but maybe more about myself, I've been in Brussels for, for a couple of years now. It's, uh, it's almost five years that I've been in Brussels uh, mm. and uh, it's not all my professional life, but most of my professional life has been here. Mostly at Eurocities, I also had uh, a little uh, engagement at the European Commission where I was working for space data. The, the unit was called Space Data for Societal Challenges and Growth. And I mean, already by listening to this name, you get very excited. But then it's not always, uh, <laughs> the name always doesn't correspond to the reality of things. But uh, anyhow, I got back uh, at Eurocities and uh, I've, I've been, as I said, I've been here for, for, for almost five years. And uh, yeah, so that's 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 a bit about it. Yeah. But do cities excite you now? That's the main question. Oh I well, ask. yeah, that's the point. I, I forgot to, to to tell. I mean, uh, I didn't study urban planning. I didn't expected myself to become an advocate for cities at the European level on a global scale. What drove my academic uh, interest and career was more understanding society, understanding the complexity of globalization. And I think we're a generation that is really born into, into this complexity on this uh, global supply chains, different ideas and these kind of things. So, yeah, so what, I, what I've done uh, is uh, I went uh, for a master, uh, which was a bit more uh, policy oriented and a bit more practical, I have to say. I did a master in uh, public policy with a specialization on social innovation and uh, economic policy. I think it's important to mention that uh, my master thesis was about understanding the quality of life. And uh, I, I did a thesis where I was analyzing the rise of well-being indicators in, uh, in, in policymaking. And so how do policymakers uh, can better measure the impact of the policies, not just so that it leads to better uh, economic growth and these kind of things, but how can it improve the quality of life? And so to come back <laughs> to the initial point is, okay, now I work on cities and cities are the place where decisions about quality of life are taken every day, where you can really make a difference in terms of improving the quality of life. And this is what our mayors, what our city leaders are doing on a daily basis. They're trying to improve the quality of life and solve the challenges. And uh, I'm sure we'll get back uh, to that uh, later on, but that's really, yeah. Yeah, but let, let's jump on that right now, because I think you transitioned quite well into, I guess, what I want to start with and asking you, like, how are cities changing nowadays? Like, what, what are the new challenges that are emerging? Because 
we hear a lot about the crises that are happening in the European Union, at least myself sitting a bit more on a broader, you know, international level of, of the, the whole structure. But are our cities facing the same challenges or are they, are they having the same issues? What, what's going on? That is quite, uh, quite an important question. And uh, I have to say that uh, I have very fresh <laughs> evidence in terms of the challenges faced by cities and by mayors uh, uh, in 2022. And it's quite interesting to see that cities have, are very much affected by all these global challenges, all these global developments. And when we asked uh, about our mayors, what, where their top uh, challenges in 2022. Most of these challenges had to do with uh, the international level. Mm. And of course, it's easy because 2022 has been a peculiar year in terms of the challenges that arrive from the international level with the Russian aggression uh, in Ukraine. And But that's certainly something that changed the priority of mayors uh, around Europe because all of a sudden, uh, especially Eastern European cities, for instance, they had to integrate and uh, basically welcome hundreds of thousands of uh, refugees. And so, of course, this is a clear example of how the international level impacts uh, local priorities. And that's that's just one. But uh, we could talk about the pandemic, uh, global health crisis, at huge impacts on the, on the priority of mayors that were on the front line to make sure that the virus uh, wouldn't spread too much. And we know how cities thrive in density and density and bad density can be a big problem for pandemics like COVID-19. So these global uh, uh, challenges really affected uh, uh, local priorities. But uh, uh, I think uh, mayors have also, mayors and citizens, because at the end of the day, mayors respond to citizens' demand. There are many other important priorities that are popping up uh, in cities, and many of them have to do about improving the quality of life in cities. That's, that's really key. I mean, I think especially also after the pandemic, uh, with the lockdowns and so on and so forth, there has been uh, rethinking about uh, the, the quality of uh, good public spaces, the quality of green spaces, uh, and all these little things that really improve the quality of life. I mean, having the opportunity to go on a bike lane uh, to, to work, uh, okay, maybe it's Brussels, it's raining, it's uh, not as cool <laughs> as uh, in Barcelona maybe, but still, it really improves your quality of life, having that infrastructure, uh, it saves you time, it saves you uh, well, <laughs> a lot of maybe frustration uh, if you're in the in the in a traffic jam. So really, I think uh, priorities for cities are really about uh, improving the quality of life of people. And as I mentioned, and because I, I should highlight this because our mayors also want to be part of of a bigger game. And the biggest challenge that we're facing is the risk of extinction as, as, a, as a human race, no? So cities have to play that part. Uh, and they're not just doing it because they're nice, but because they also are pressured by a very progressive population that usually lives in big cities that is very pro, let's say, climate action. And as a, as a reaction, uh, a lot of mayors are the ones that are doing the hardest job uh, for, 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 the, for the environmental transition. I mean, mobility, it's a huge source of, of course, emissions, but also buildings. I mean, the the, the data are clear. Uh, I think 75% of uh, the emissions uh, in Europe are uh, made in big cities. So the priorities, uh, there are lots of priorities, a lot of compete, competing priorities. Yeah, because it's quite interesting, at least to myself. I mean, I, I don't work in government, I work in the private sector for a, for a tech company here. here. 
And it's, it's interesting as you go through those lists, those are all different facets of even work that I touch on on a daily basis, but in different areas, which, for instance, like work in Ukraine, like we do a lot of cybersecurity, like uh, cloud transition, stuff like that. And it's fascinating to see how cities are even drawn into the other end of that advocacy and, and the roles they play. And even climate, for instance, uh, I, I love the statue bringing in and really shows the, the severity of the issue and the role that cities have to play there. So looking at the role that they have to play, are there any unique ways of responding to these crises or emergencies or even challenges that we see cities doing today that, that, that you think are, are worth highlighting? Yeah, I mean, that's the, the reality of cities is that it's always crisis. There is always a crisis. <laughs> I've realized that's the reality of any form of government. Uh, so. Any form of government. <laughs> but at the city level, you have all sorts of different crises that you need yeah. to. And everything could, could, could be a crisis and from, uh, from uh, a hole uh, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the road and, uh, and so on and so forth. So I think uh, mayors, they, they used to deal with crises all the time and to be in, in emergency mode and uh, being close to, the, to the, really the needs of people. So in a way, it's, it's quite important when you go to higher level of government to and and policymakers at higher levels of government they really appreciate uh, this this attitude uh, from city leaders uh, this this ability to 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 react to to respond to this crisis and also the ability to to also translate this abstract uh, idea of an emergency into reality i mean it's not that uh, the refugees are uh, problem daily for for Ursula von der Leyen, uh, mm-hmm. the refugees from, from Ukraine. It's uh, in those big cities that refugees will arrive. And uh, so for politicians like Ursula von der Leyen, it's very important to have uh, a, a contact sometimes with these kind of local leaders that are there solving challenges uh, on, a, on a daily basis. Same for the climate uh, transition. Uh, of course, Ursula von der Leyen, she's doing a very... Uh, very remarkable job uh, also taking into account our political family for uh, the European Green Deal. But of course she can push for legislations together of course with Franz Timmermans and uh, the rest of the the College of Commissioners. But uh, then when when it's about doing those infrastructural investments uh, and it's about also convincing uh, uh, the citizens that uh, okay you've been enjoying coming uh, uh, to your office space uh, by, by by car but you know we're going to build this back lane and we're going to make sure that it's more difficult to you to come uh, in the city because of multiple reasons including climate health reasons and uh, equity reasons and so on and so forth that's the mayor that uh, will need to convince uh, the, the citizens and will need to pay the prices now with the economic recovery uh, all these investments that Europe has put forward and that uh, are making rich <laughs> not really rich because mm. cities if there is another thing about cities is that there is never enough money for their priorities ah, but that's but in every household that's you know. in, uh, well, well 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 yes but um, I that's the, the sad part is that in the household of, <laughs> of cities uh, the revenues have been decreasing uh, mm. uh, and since the austerity in uh, from 2008 onwards, unfortunately, national governments, of course, they've cut themselves, but they also had to cut, uh, uh, and they found ways to cut at the local level because it was easier for them. But uh, going back to the, my example about um, the climate uh, transition, um, it's um, yeah, as I was saying, right now there there are a lot of investments that Europe has been is putting forward for cities for this transition, but. All these uh, working uh, areas, all this mess in the cities for all these infrastructures, constructions, it's the mayors that are dealing with. (laughs) 
But I, I like how you're drawn to the mayors and, and their increasing role nowadays or increasing visibility even when addressing these issues because at least myself personally, I've been noticing a lot that mayors are having a big role at a lot of like the international conferences. Like I think even at a, at the at the COP27 last year, I, I, we saw a ton of city mayors head over there and, and share how their strategy is to tackle climate within an audience of, for instance, like Ursula von der Leyen and other commissioners and stuff like that. So to do you think that the city diplomacy is, is a new trend? Or do, do you think that yeah, it's always been no, something no, 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 it's, it's, it's quite, uh, quite interesting. I've, I was late for, uh, for our podcast because I was just uh, discussing <laughs> city diplomacy for a session that uh, we are organizing uh, at our Brussels Urban Summit uh, that is coming up uh, in mid-June. No uh, advertisement here, no. but... Uh, <laughs> I can add a link if you no, want. No, 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 but yeah, yeah but that, that'd be nice. But uh, jokes yeah. aside, we were exactly discussing about uh, the city diplomacy and how uh, city diplomacy is uh, becoming increasingly recognized uh, at the European level. Uh, of course, city diplomacy, it's its its very wide term. There are no really definitions. It's more, okay, cities engaging international relations. Uh, and mm-hmm. then that is happening for sure more and more. And very often this was more uh, connected with the role of cities in multilateral organizations. Uh, yeah. But uh, I have to say, city diplomacy is not just about that. It's also about city-to-city cooperation. It's uh, also about what we do in Eurocities. Uh, we work, uh, well, with an international level, which is Europe, and we really do play a major uh, uh, role in, 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 in making sure that policies, programs, funding schemes uh, at the European level are close to, to, to citizens. And uh, as, as you were saying, we get increased recognitions in this international fora and uh, mayors are superstars uh, sometimes but uh, not I mean of course there are the bigger uh, cities mayors that uh, get bigger recognition but there is tons of mayors out there from uh, mid-sized cities that are also increasingly interested about this international level and I have to say sometimes it's harder to get uh, a a mayor from a big city uh, to participate to one of these conference than uh, to get one European Commissioner, mayors are extremely busy uh, mm. because they have concrete problems uh, that they have to solve. Uh, but I don't want to talk only about mayors. Cities are not just made of mayors. Yeah. There are huge administrations that are behind them. Uh, city diplomacy needs, if, if, it, if it is to be successful, needs to also nurture a new generation of leaders in public administration. And I can tell you, coming from your cities, how hard it is to... Um, convince uh, young, uh, motivated people to go work uh, uh, for a city administration and build their international strategy. And mayors come and go, but then the city administration, uh, that's, that's going to be there yeah. to, to continue to make sure that it's not just, uh, you know, that there is a legacy and that there is concrete uh, outputs coming uh, out from, uh, from, from, yeah, from this. Well, it's a super good point you make. And I think connecting that to even the city we find ourselves now in, how do you view this, not city diplomacy, but even just, uh, just for instance, the role of cities moving forward in, in conjunction with, for instance, the institutions we have here, the outreach that organizations do here in Brussels? Wh- where do you think that the similarities, the, the, the joining up of the cities and, and institutions sh- should be happening? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a very, very good, good question. And it's a very exciting moment for cities uh, at the European level. Because over the past, uh, well, there is a tradition of uh, the European level working with cities uh, and we could go talk about history in the 80s, 90s. A lot of uh, focus was on 
providing resources for urban regeneration and these kind of things. Um, then, um, let's say, another entry point uh, for cities at the European level has been cohesion policy. Of course, cohesion policy is de facto the European regional policy, and uh, cities have a stake in that cohesion policy. They play a major role also because cohesion policy is not just the regional policy, it's a policy that needs to bring cohesion and make sure that mm -hmm. uh, regional divides do not widen and everyone can catch up. And so thanks to cohesion uh, policy and cohesion funds, uh, there is actually an urban dimension of cohesion policy. There are billions of, of euros that are coming to cities uh, uh, almost directly uh, that have helped uh, fund uh, infrastructures and new investments, especially in Eastern European cities that, of course, have seen the mm -hmm. most substantial chunks of money. Then the relationship between cities uh, and Europe is not just about uh, money. And increasingly, uh, cohesion policy and this urban dimension of cohesion policy, it's an established thing, I hope. I mean, that's my part of my job is to uh, convince uh, and, uh, and explain and bring evidence about uh, the usefulness of uh, having cities as part of this policy. But uh, the, the interesting thing is that the interest uh, about cities has grown much more beyond the cohesion policy and much more beyond, let's say, the departments in the, com in the European Commission that deal with regional and urban policy. And now basically every department, every DG, I mean, we're in Brussels, we can use the word DG. <laughs> yes, every, every DG has its own uh, uh, department, its own, let's say, little initiative that is trying to uh, bring uh, cities and Europe really? together. And that's quite exciting. Uh, we have a lot of uh, movements everywhere on digital. We have, uh, I don't know if you heard about it, the Living in the EU movement. Mm. It's, uh, it's a new, let's say, coalition of uh, local administrations and cities uh, that are working together with the European level to bring forward a European uh, way of uh, doing digital transformation, one that is human-centered, one where the data that are collected are at the service of the community, and so on and so forth. This is just one example in the digital sphere of how then concretely Europe is trying to work with cities and, and city leaders. We have so many more initiatives also uh, on, on climate. Uh, I, I don't know if you ever heard about uh, the, Euro the EU missions, uh, but uh, the EU missions are, let's say, uh, part of the innovation uh, program uh, of Europe, Horizon uh, Europe. And uh, these are very interesting because they focus on transformational uh, change and on concrete missions. And uh, to support my point, there is now a mission uh, on cities, uh, which is called a, mis a mission for climate in neutral smart cities, 100 climate neutral and smart cities by 2030. That's mission impossible. Uh, but uh, don't quote me on that now. But <laughs> jokes aside, of course, it's, it's very hard to uh, make 100 cities climate neutral by 2030, which is tomorrow. But there is a whole program with a lot of money, with a lot of uh, dedicated professionals that is working cross-border to support cities from all member states to achieve that mission. So this is really a clear example of uh, how um, yeah, the European level is increasingly looking at working with cities. And these are programs that are, let's say, maybe led uh, by, by, by the European Commission, initiated by the European Commission, but there is so much more. And uh, uh, what is also quite interesting is to see that uh, also when it comes to legislation, uh, the European level is increasingly aware of the fact that cities need to be, and cities with their knowledge, with their insight, they need to be part of that discussion. And so we are, like many other stakeholder groups, uh, 
contributing to many expert groups uh, on different things such as mobility, uh, funding, uh, uh, health, food, all sort of policies that uh, Europe uh, is developing. We're trying to influence them, but we're invited to contribute. We have a, an interesting, uh, let's say, we have a double hat because we, of course, we are uh, we advocate, we are a lobby organization mm-hmm. representing the interest of cities, but at the same time, we also represent the interest of uh, those citizens living in cities. So the European institutions, they understand that we don't represent particular interests, but let's say the interest of, of communities. It's a good point you make, though, because it, it, it's quite interesting to think what my desires as a as a resident of a city and my desires as, for instance, just an individual, how those might not always overlap in a sense. And it, it's interesting to see how those are unique things going forward and they have to be represented or they should be represented in certain ways. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. Uh, that's well, that's, uh, that's a very good point. And of course, even when you, before starting this conversation, you need to ask yourself, who is uh, a city, uh, a city uh, dweller? Who, who, who do we define as someone who lives in a city? What interests are we representing? So as an organization, we have some boundaries, of course, uh, in the sense that we represent more the big cities and uh, the cities mm-hmm. that usually are above 250,000 people. But but it's, it's quite important uh, uh, because then most of, uh, well, Europe is a very urbanized uh, uh, yeah. continent. So most people live in urban areas, uh, not always in big cities, but m- most p- people are, are urban dwellers. And uh, it's also very interesting because uh, uh, in our work, we also sometimes find uh, some, uh, some um, well, some competing or, or, or contrasting arguments from people coming uh, from rural areas. I was going to say, because yeah, you're yeah. getting to any conflict, you know, yeah, stabbing yeah. the pitchforks at no, each no, other. No, no, but that's, uh, that's something that is... <laughs> Is very salient, actually, at the, at the, let's say political level, at, at the European level, of course. Uh, maybe you heard about uh, the geography of discontent uh, uh, and the the, the the fact that uh, let's say left behind regions have been voting extremely right, mm-hmm. uh, populism, and these kind of things. This this narrative it's it's quite well known in our bubbles, uh, and. Uh, Often, uh, that argument is put next to the fact that uh, cities have been uh, growing uh, maybe yeah. too much and too strong and all the resources have gone uh, just uh, to the big cities and uh, the rural areas have left with no investments, with no uh, agency and it's a matter of power, everyone is looking at cities. So I agree we need to be careful, we need to be careful about this dichotomy and uh, let's say also in my work, uh, uh, it's quite interesting, I'm just about to finalize a uh, uh, a publication that deals with urban-rural cooperation and uh, brings together examples from all over Europe on how uh, urban-rural cooperation can be promoted at the metropolitan level. Because what is interesting is, as I was saying, how do we define a city? What is a city? What is rural? What is also quite interesting is that uh, 50% of people that are considered uh, rural inhabitants uh, live close to a city. And so one uh, needs to forget these artificial, let's say, borders and uh, see what are the functional links. Uh, And uh, what we do at EuroCities is that we try to um, promote metropolitan governance, which is a way of, let's say, having the core city also cooperating with the surrounding municipalities. And some of these municipalities are very urbanized, but others are very rural. Uh, Classic example that we use is uh, Turin. 
Turin is a huge met- metropolitan city, and uh, it goes from, uh, of course, the core city, very urbanized, uh, industries, heavy industries, to mountains at the border with, yeah. uh, it, it's bordering actually uh, uh, France. Eh? Yeah. And also you have huge uh, areas that uh, where, where you have uh, agriculture. So it's a huge area. And there uh, you have very interesting uh, efforts at, at the level of the, of, the, of the metropolitan area to create uh, uh, ways of working together to make sure that uh, uh, transport mobility is provided in a more integrated way by creating uh, um, agreements between the different municipalities uh, uh, and and finding ways of making it work because transport doesn't stop at the border uh, beyond the city boundaries we need to provide services so that's that's happening quite quite a lot what is quite also interesting maybe in the context of uh, of the pandemic and of the energy crisis also uh, there is a lot of effort in building shorter supply chains at the metropolitan level Turing, there is a lot of uh, food that is produced in the metropolitan mm-hmm. area and uh, there are a lot of efforts from the city administration to provide the short food supply chain. Another example from completely different part of uh, Europe, which is not European Union, is from Norway, Oslo. Oslo, well, Norway is quite an interesting country because they're a massive producer of, <laughs> of, uh, of uh, emissions and gas and, uh, and oil and, and, and so on and so forth. But they also, uh, for their own uh, <laughs> consumption, they use a lot of renewable energies. And yes. uh, what is quite interesting, and I think this is a very interesting example also looking forward, is that uh, Oslo, at the metropolitan level, has put together a cooperation between the core city and the municipalities around it uh, that uh, to, to produce energy. They have space, they have water, there is hydroelectric power that is produced there, and there are very, very good, uh, let's say, compensation mechanisms that have been put forward so that those resources, those uh, ecological services that these areas provide that flow into the cities are rewarded for, and the uh, uh, people living in those areas that are the guardians of these resources as are rewarded. So the urban-rural cooperation, it's such an, a fascinating topic, but it's true, it's true. Sometimes resources are not infinite. So if you promote cities, you're not going to promote uh, uh, rural areas. So yeah, but the, the way you say it, though, when, when you try to break down the divide or try, try you know, using modern technologies and everything else, the divide becomes weaker and weaker. Like, and then having that larger body to be able to talk to, for instance, people in Brussels, people at the national level, people, it, it, it helps them have more access to these resources, for it, yeah. I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, that's, uh, that's, that's uh, very important. So, I mean, as a, as, a, as a good European, I'm also quite... Uh, I, I really hope that rural areas in the future will be able to, to, to come back and to, and to, of course, not as a, a city dweller with its own ideas and so on and so forth, but without uh, the, the rural areas, cities couldn't just exist in terms yeah. of material, resources, food, energy, and so on and so forth. So it is really crucial that we as cities, we help uh, this, this capital to kind of uh, stay I remember I, I, I grew up rural because my parents are farmers in Canada. And, and we always had these people, these slogans of farmers feed cities. I don't know if you have them here in Europe too, but it's <laughs> quite an aggressive like, thing they put in their cars and stuff like that. Ah, that's, uh, that. ah, that's that's quite interesting. I mean, yeah. if you look at uh, from uh, from look at the statistics, probably, of course, we shouldn't also fool ourselves that short supply chain for food are 
uh, enough to feed cities. Uh, that's yeah. that's 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 not the point. The point is about changing the mindset. Mm. And um, well, on top of f- farmers from rural areas uh, close to the cities feeding the city, there is also increasingly a trend uh, with uh, urban agriculture. To be honest, I think that's a very interesting innovation. I'm not sure we, that's that's the only uh, solution, but it's, I think it's good for also community building when you have these urban gardens. It's quite nice uh, because also it helps uh, people living in cities that are not uh, accustomed to agriculture to understand the efforts and uh, the passion that it takes to 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 farm. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's, it's interesting you, me- you mentioned that change of mindset aspect to it, too, because that's also, I think, a pretty salient lesson to take away, for instance, somebody sitting in Brussels, right, where the, the head of the technocratic bubble and everything like that. But it's when, when we get this feedback, I assume a lot of my peers in the commission and stuff like that, it's, it just flows upwards and they're like, okay, let's address this complaint. But then if you look, what if we think of the problem from a different you know, lens? And I yeah. think that's where organizations, for instance, like yours, or representing different viewpoints like cities, which aren't, I suppose, your traditional go-to viewpoint when dealing with these large, you know, crises or pandemics or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 that's that's true. And that's that's how, and it's also going back to my point, that's why, let's say, the European institutions are increasingly looking at, uh, at, at citizens, local leaders, local governments to better build their policies. Uh, of course, uh, the, the challenging part is that uh, sometimes we would hope, uh, well, t- to be diplomatic, sometimes not all the, the, the national governments are happy about uh, this trend of cities taking uh, more power and this direct relationship between the European Commission and cities because, of course, also national leaders at the national level, True. there is uh, an interest uh, into bringing urban urban needs forward, but they want to do it from the n- own national perspective. So it's a diff- difficult uh, power, power struggle, I have to say, in that sense, uh, in the sense that, uh, yeah, and as we know, as uh, European decisions are more and more in the hands of member states, uh, it is. Uh, it, I have to say, it's it's easier to get the support from uh, the European Commission sometimes than f- some some member states. And uh, there is a very concrete example of this. It's uh, about the post-pandemic uh, recovery plan, uh, Next Generation EU. We uh, really pushed hard to have uh, cities being uh, at the at the forefront of these investment plans and uh, to make sure that uh, th- those the priorities of cities but also the implementation of this investment would stay in the hands of the cities because they know best uh, and uh, it's where the implementation needs to, to come forward. Uh, and we had, uh, let's say, some support from uh, many European institutions, uh, but uh, at the same time, we also had uh, a lot of resistance from a lot of the national governments that wanted to centralize these uh, uh, investment plans. And this is quite interesting, especially in Eastern European uh, countries, uh, um, where, um, okay, the situation was, uh, it, at, at the end of the day, uh, the situation was that the in the regulation, uh, there is some requirement to involve and, and consult uh, c- uh, cities. And in most member states, this worked out more or less well, not as well as we, we were hoping for, uh, but it wor- it's working out a bit because at the end of the day, national governments, they understand that if, if they are to be successful, working with cities will be easier. But in Eastern European countries, where there is a strong opposition between uh, city leaders from big cities and uh, the national level, this has been very, very difficult. And uh, we have uh, lots of cities like Budapest, Warsaw, that are fighting on a daily basis to get what they would 
deserve because mm. they were strongly affected by the pandemic. But the national government is using this money to basically uh, as, as a political tool and to give it to the, those uh, municipalities with their own criteria and their own, uh, let's say, priorities, mm. national priorities, to those municipalities that are not in opposition to the central government. So this is quite an interesting dynamic, and it's a very worrying one, because we, yeah, when, when I talk with my colleagues from Budapest, they really tell me, okay, Pietro, we need to, as Budapest, we need to find a solution because the central government is not giving us the money, and it's even taking away some money that uh, we were able to, to, to get by taxing our citizens. They're changing even that. So there are these, these, these political games, uh, and sometimes we are caught up into these political games as, as Euro cities between these different levels of government that are fighting each other. So it's quite interesting. You know, it's super fascinating that you mentioned that, because I, I didn't really think about that. And so it makes a lot of sense when you lay it out like that. But we've been going for quite a bit of a while, and we need to wrap up sometime. But uh, I, I think in, in, in summary... What, what are your takeaways then from the, I guess, the, the challenges that cities are facing and, and their increasing relationship with, with Brussels and uh, the wider scale of governance? Uh, what are your takeaways from this podcast? Uh, what are your yeah. final thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, uh, that's the 100 uh, <laughs> million question. I mean, uh, well, as, as, as I've been describing to you, the role of, of cities at the European level is, is strong. It hasn't been as, as strong uh, as, as, as like, like now. Um, what we need to look at is also then the capacity of uh, these European cities to then deliver on all these expectations from the European mm. level. Because cities are always asked, okay, well, you're going to localize the European Green Deal, you're going to put it into, into action and so on and so forth. The reality is that, uh, okay, of course, cities want to, want to be part of this European uh, politics and the European programs, priorities and so on and so forth, but they also have their own priorities and they have limited capacity. So there is, we are in a situation where um, Europe looks at cities increasingly uh, and cities want to contribute, but the resources are scarce. And um, if we want to step up the game, uh, we need to, I think, uh, it, it will take some time before all these uh, cities will have strong and functioning Europe's department uh, that help uh, localize these European priorities and, uh, and help also making sure that uh, these um, initiatives at the European level can also spread into the wider administration because you just don't want only the European Affairs Department in the cities to know about these initiatives. You want to make sure yeah. that the people that is dealing with the digital policy knows about the Living in the EU movement and they use the funds to innovate and they also bring some uh, some inputs to the to the European level for, for better legislation and so on and so forth. So there is a lot that needs to be done to make sure that this relationship works better. But uh, I think uh, looking at where it started and... Uh, We've, we've made huge progress and, of course, a bit of PR for uh, uh, our, our uh, own organization, EuroCities has been growing quite a bit. We have almost 100 uh, people working at EuroCities these days. Uh, we were just uh, 50 a couple of, of years ago. And that means more support that we can provide also to our cities uh, to, to deliver on these European priorities and to make sure that the voice uh, of, of cities at the European level is strong. So there is, there is quite, uh, quite, quite a big momentum. And um, yeah, this is more some, some, some wide reflections internally, uh, but then also externally, um, the European level, it's 
it's very confusing all the stuff that they are doing uh, uh, to engage with cities. There is not really a clear vision uh, on, on, on cities. And this has to do with the fact that uh, uh, urban uh, development is, is urban planning is of, often a local or a national uh, competence. But at the same time, the European level has built so many interesting programs and funding uh, schemes uh, for cities. And we need to, I think, have a better um, architecture to improve the governance uh, of of all these uh, European initiatives that are for cities uh, and that see cities as, as key implementing actors. So that's, uh, I hope this, this is not too abstract, but for me, it's quite clear. And uh, uh, on top of having this better governance, uh, there is also a need to have uh, more coordination, like with every government, uh, uh, horizontally for, for urban issues. That's, that's something that, uh, as, as, a, as a network, we're pushing for. And uh, often this horizontal coordination all, often comes with um, the, the, uh, a political kind of uh, uh, person behind this that is keeping uh, keeping uh, track of what is important for cities at the European level. So we are calling for that. Uh, now it's an interesting moment because it's just uh, uh, one year before the European elections. And so I just want to invite uh, everyone uh, who's going to be in Brussels, uh, well, between the 12th of and 15th of June uh, to join uh, the Brussels Urban Summit. Uh, if you are curious to hear about what cities are asking uh, to the European level, uh, what, uh, what also, what are the key priorities that the mayors want to discuss? Uh, we're going to have plenaries on climate, on migration. So, well, yes. So you're all invited. <laughs> well, thanks for the invitation. I, I'll, I'll look it up. You know, I'll make a note to my calendar. <laughs> but no, it's, it's been quite interesting having you on. It's a really interesting and well-informed perspective you bring to this topic. So it's, it's been fascinating just listening to you and, and having this conversation with you here today. But before you wrap up, I always finish a more, you know, fun off the cuff kind of question, which I didn't prepare you for. So, you know, <laughs> something, you know, unprepared, but more people who live in Brussels and we talked a lot about cities, but we didn't talk about the city of Brussels. If you could apply one innovation from some city elsewhere to Brussels to immediately improve your quality living here, what would it be? Oh, well, uh, I think I'm a bit self-centered. So, uh, yes, uh, I really enjoy go going to Bois de la Cambre. I love all these uh, little ponds that we have. Yeah. I think in Paris, uh, they have been increasingly uh, ma ma making available these ponds and this kind of fresh water uh, to, to, to people so that they can go and swim. So my plea would be to kind of have a swimming pool uh, at Bois de la Cambre, learning from uh, all these public swimming pools that uh, are being uh, kind of developed uh, all over Europe like in Paris uh, but uh, yeah this is a really good shout because I remember I was talking to my girlfriend earlier and then she was like oh, I want to start swimming again and I'm like oh cool it's a city there must be like 20 swimming pools near you there's like four in the entire city oh, yeah. of millions of people and oh, that, yeah. that blew my mind there, there were more closer to me in like the city where I did my bachelor's degree on like the campus I did my bachelor's degree on, then the entire city of Brussels. That's true, that's true. But uh, I mean, of course, I, I, I'm talking about the summer and I want the open air uh, swimming pools. But actually, there are very few swimming pools, but very, very interesting because they're very beautiful and very old. So, okay, there are very few. They're not always the cleanest, uh, but uh, quite uh, quite interesting. And uh, what I like is also it's very much, um, it's very cheap, uh, very little yeah. availability, very cheap. And uh, really, public service is, is quite, uh, quite strong uh, in, in, in Brussels. And, and people tend to see Brussels as, as this city that is, is not really innovating that much. But actually, 
Brussels is becoming a case studies globally really? for the mobility transformation that mm. it has put forward in the past uh, few years. And as you might know, a lot of resistance, of course, because uh, Brussels is it's a, it's a car city. And this administration was very strongly pushing for, 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 for this, this revolution. And they did it very quickly. And they, some, someone argues that it's a case study because it was done so quickly, so strongly, with such a strong will that now it works and we see the benefits of it so i'm gonna get uh, back uh, uh, after this podcast with my little bike uh, in a not perfectly functioning bike lane but still good to go yeah that was my one other complaint about this city moving here there are like 20 different types of bike lanes oh, and it's God. it's so like you go from like an orange stripe to like the actual road to like a converted sidewalk to like you know a trail and it's like huh but i don't know i mean i was just spoiled by my masters in the netherlands <laughs> that's all i'll say but I think this kind of wraps it up, Pietro. A- any final words before we wrap it all up? Yeah, no, uh, just uh, again, uh, if, uh, if you're curious about finding out uh, about uh, the, the mobility Brussels revolution, you can come meet the deputy mayor that was in charge of this uh, huge revolution at the Brussels Urban <laughs> There we go. <laughs> we definitely didn't plan that out. <laughs> uh, but thanks for coming on, Pietro. And, and thank you for listening to the, the constant uh, listener. I'm stealing that one from Stephen King, but anyways. But uh, yeah, I hope we'll see you sometime soon. I have a few more ideas in the works for podcasts coming up and yeah thanks for listening goodbye everybody goodbye